If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, you can in the book of Luke, chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. You know, one of the saddest things that I see in folks is low expectations for their life. I think we can all be guilty of that at times, a life of low expectation, a life where we, even in our spiritual, in our walk with God and what we're doing with Him, to just expect very little, just to kind of have a ho-hum life. And, you know, this, this is a message that's important to all of us, but I would especially today just speak to those maybe that are in our youth, uh, and maybe the, the, the youth among us, uh, because you have, we pray so many years left ahead. Uh, and if you can catch hold of what I'm going to talk about today, if you can catch hold of this message that God gives us in his word, uh, it will radically change the way you live for a very, very long time. Some of us catch this so late in life that we experience a lot of regret over opportunities missed, but you have so much to look forward to. And uh, even those of us who are older, uh, and even those of us that have caught on to this to some degree, I I hope today will be a catalyst for you, something that will propel you to bigger and better things. That is to to cause you to have bigger expectations of your life and bigger expectations of your God than you've ever had before. Uh, Because God intends for us to be a part of what he's doing in the world. Uh, And that should, in and of itself, if I didn't say anything else today, should cause your imagination to go uh, crazy. Uh, That God wants you to be a part of what he's doing in the world, it should just light you up, set you on fire uh, with just a wild, crazy kind of imagination of what that might mean for you. And this is not a message to the few, but to the whole, to all of us. God intends for all of us to be a part of what he's doing in the world right now. Uh, He has put us uniquely where we are and in the time that we live so that we might be a part of something he is doing right in this moment, right in this place. That's for all of us, for each and every one of us. Uh, This story today that we read about the shepherds is something that should just excite us to the core of our being. Reason being, these were the most unqualified of people to be used in the hands of God at this moment in history. By the time that we reach this place in the life of Israel, shepherds were no longer respected as they were in King David's day uh, or in the day of Moses. They were no longer considered to be trustworthy. Uh, They were just about a half step above thieves. They were always ceremonially unclean, so they could rarely participate in the religious life of the people of Israel. So they were very seldom in the, in the temple. They were very seldom around the ceremonies on the Sabbath and worship of God. Uh, they were always out in the field, dirty, filthy, doing the dirty job. And uh, people looked down upon them. And these were the ones that God chose to make a part of what he was doing in this bright pinnacle moment in all of history. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And who had the opportunity to be told first and had the opportunity to go shout the news to the rest of humankind before anyone else did. The most unworthy in the eyes of the world of any people, the shepherds out in the field. Isn't that something? Doesn't that give you hope? Because I'm going to tell you, you know, if you're like me and most people, you've had many, many times in your life that you have felt unusable in the hands of God because of some sin in your life or some fault in your character or because of some gift you lacked or some resource you didn't have, you felt as though you could not be used in the hands of God. I think every person I have ever known has felt that way at some point in their life. 
But God in this story is telling us, he is screaming it from the heavens literally. I can use anybody. And your usefulness is not dependent upon you. Who you are, how good you are, where you're from, what kind of resources you may have, what kind of gifts you may possess. It's all about me and my choice to use you. There's an illustration, a a video that I love to use. And I've used it here before, but I'm going to use it again because you haven't seen it in a long time. And it communicates one of the best stories and one of the best messages, one of the best illustrations of this point that I've ever seen. And so I'm going to ask Evan to play that now. And then I want us to take a look at the shepherds and how God used them to get his message out for the Christmas season. Think God can't use you? Think he only uses perfectly qualified people? Take a closer look. Moses was not a great speaker. Jonah ran from God. Jacob was a liar. Noah got drunk. Rahab was a prostitute. David had an affair. Jeremiah was depressed a lot. Solomon was rich in wisdom, but poor in lifestyle. John the Baptist was just plain poor. Timothy was too young. Abraham was too old. Lazarus was dead. Sarah was barren. Naomi was a widow. Gideon and Thomas both doubted. And so did Sarah. Peter lacked self-control. James and John were self-righteous. Paul had a short fuse. Well, so did Peter and Moses. Actually, lots of people did. God's army isn't perfect. It never has been. It's the march of the unqualified. Get in line. Who's ready to get in line? It is the march of the unqualified, isn't it? And it's only by God's grace and God's mercy poured out to us that we are ever made usable in His hands. It's only because of His power at work within us that we could ever do anything, period. Much less be successful at what we're doing, right? And that's what we see here in the lives of these shepherds. It's an amazing story. They are out in the field, living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. The story doesn't end there. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. And found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. 
When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. God chose these most unlikely of mouthpieces to participate in his story and to share in his glory. Now this word glory here means the splendor or the brightness, the magnificence, excellence, the preeminence, the dignity, the grace of the Lord. And the glory of the Lord shone around all of these angels. And they were scared. You know, I've often thought, what would it be like to see an angel? Who wouldn't like to see an angel in here? But you know what? If you saw an angel, you would be terrified. You would be on your face. You would be overwhelmed because the glory of the Lord would be with that angel. These angels had just come from the presence of God. And the glory of the Lord was all over them. Remember when Moses was given the Ten Commandments and came down from the mountain, his face shone so brightly, no one could look upon him, and they had to put a veil over his face. These fellows had just come, these angels had just come from the presence of Almighty God. And the glory of the Lord was all over them, and these angels were terrified as a result of it. And the angel says, don't be afraid. This happened to the apostle John. He was given the word of the Lord, the revelation of God in the book of Revelation. And the glory of Jesus was so overwhelming that he fell on his face as though dead, the book of Revelation says. And Jesus came to him and put his hand upon him and said, it's okay. It's okay. It's a frightening thing, an overwhelming thing to be in the presence of the glory of the Lord unless you know the Lord. And unless the Lord says you're okay. And you see, the Lord told John that, and the Lord told the shepherds that through the angels. And the Lord says that to you today. You and I, however unlikely it may seem to you, have the privilege and opportunity to participate in the work of God, the glory of God. Not just in something God is doing, but in God's character and power and ability. In who He really is. You know, we we, we went and, and saw Star Wars the other day, a couple of us. It's a fun story, right? Just a fantasy story. I was thinking about this in light of this sermon. You know, the big thing in Star Wars is the force. It's supposed to be some energy that surrounds us and enables some people to do uh, magic tricks, basically, you know. I was thinking, how pitiful would it be if that were all you had to look forward to? If that were all that could be? If that was, if that was really the totality of what it meant to connect to the higher power in the universe is that you could do a few parlor trips and wield a lightsaber around real cool. You see, we as Christians have something to be a part of which far surpasses the fantasy of any man's imagination. You see, we are are given the privilege because of our faith in Jesus Christ to connect to God and His glory, His power, His preeminence, His majesty. I mean, guys, think about that. It has nothing to do with you and your qualifications to be so. He just simply chose to save us and to make us worthy to be a part of His mission, but not just His mission, to be a part of His glory, to participate in His glory, His power, His character, His magnificence. That doesn't excite you. I don't know what does. You see, the thing that is so exciting about Christmas, the thing that is so exciting about the coming of Christ is that Christ entered our world, and as a result of that, He enabled us to enter His life so that we might participate in His life and in His glory, and what He's doing. And that's what happened for these angels. I mean, these shepherds, I'm sorry. They were able to participate in the glory, the plan, the mission of God. And what was that? 
Salvation had come. A Savior had come into the world. These shepherds were given the the privilege and the opportunity to be the mouthpiece, to be the first ones to go and say, the Word has become flesh and is dwelling among us. The Christ has come, the Savior of the world. And that word Savior was not something, was not a word that was common in the day. The word Savior was primarily used in that day to indicate someone who would deliver people from disease or danger or some other human predicament in the world. It wasn't a common word. It wasn't some word that people used of one another regularly. And what this word meant and what the people would understand it to mean who heard the shepherd's words is that the long-awaited rescue from sin and death and fear and hopelessness that we look forward to from the Savior, our Messiah, is here. Our Savior is here. Christ the Lord. And these shepherds were the mouthpiece of it. This salvation brought freedom and rescue from sin, the bondage of sin, the consequences of sin. It brought freedom and brought rescue from death, fear, and the hopelessness that mankind had been in since the fall in the garden. And this salvation brought to us joy. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Joy is a delight of mind. Do you know that? It's not, it's not just a, a feeling as a result of circumstances. It is a delight of mind that we can always have when we are looking to uh, some or considering some present good that we enjoy or future assured possession of some good. That is to say that we can have joy, a delight of mind when we consider something we have or something that God has guaranteed that we are going to have. And what these angels came to pronounce, this joy to the world, what the shepherds went out and told everyone about, this joy to the world is a an assured good, that is that Christ is here and salvation has come and the savior is here and it has brought to us something eternal. Rescue from sin and death forever, for both now and forever. Hope for both now in this life and for the future in eternity. And because of those things, we can always have a delight of mind. It's nice to be delighted, isn't it? We all want to be delighted. And there are things which delight us, right? This week we will be delighted. We will be delighted to be with family or not. But probably, at least part of the time, delighted to be with family, right? Hopefully we are all delighted to be with those that we're going to see this week. We will be delighted to have uh, some of the things we're going to have that, that we'll receive as, by way of gifts. We'll be delighted with some of the food that we eat. Delight. Right now you're delighted thinking about those things, those assured goods, those things which are certainly to come. And it brings a joy, a delight in your heart and in your mind. See, that's what the angels were saying. That's what the shepherds are saying, is that you can always have this delight in your heart for what Christ has done for you and for what he's promised to do for us. He has saved us, and he has promised to save us. Someday we'll leave this world, and when we leave this world, it will not be the end. When we close our eyes here, we'll be lifted up into heaven. We have an assured good that we look forward to, and it brings delight to our heart. 
Christ came to bring us salvation. Christ came to bring us joy. And, you know, people try to find this joy from all kinds of different places, and they miss out on the one place that you can actually find it. Everyone is looking for joy, right? I mean, everyone wants to be happy, but beyond that and more than that, everyone wants to be filled with joy to be able to to have a, a delight of mind and heart in spite of whatever circumstances around us. We've been around people like that that always seem to be filled with joy regardless of what's going on in their life. Some people find that, those who look for that joy in Christ and their relationship with Him and what He's done for them and what He's promised to do for them. Others continue to look for that joy from other places, and you'll never find it. I went through a list someone made this week of places and things that people look for joy in futile attempts to find joy. One of them was unbelief. A fellow said, Voltaire is a great example of this, a great philosopher, Voltaire, if you want to call him great. He was an infidel and probably one of the greatest non-believers and greatest known of non-believers. He wrote, I wish I had never been born during his lifetime here. No joy found in his unbelief. You'll never find joy and pleasure. Lord Byron, some of you will know who he is. These are folks from history. Lived a life of pleasure as if anyone ever did, if you're looking for worldly pleasures. And he wrote, the worm, the canker, and grief are mine alone. You'll never find joy in money. Jay Gould, the American millionaire, had plenty of that. And when dying, he wrote, or said rather, I suppose I am the most miserable man on earth. You'll never find it in position and fame. One who had such and enjoyed his share of both wrote, Youth is a mistake, manhood is a struggle, old age is a regret. You'll not find it in military glory. Alexander the Great, who conquered the known world, was said to have wept in his tent and said, There are no more worlds to conquer. No more worlds to conquer. You'll never find joy anywhere save in Christ. Listen to me for a minute. So many have lost their joy who found their joy in Christ because of sin. You see, we started this with expectation. What are your expectations? And we're coming back there, but in order to have right expectations and in order to participate in God's life, in order to participate in His glory, we have to be saved and filled with the joy of the Lord. And there are a lot of folks who have lost their joy just as King David did after he committed his sin. We saw up here just a moment ago, King David had an affair. And in the midst of that sin, he was a broken man. And he wrote Psalm 51. In the midst of Psalm 51, if you look in verse 12, he says, Restore to me the joy of thy salvation, of your salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to thee. He needed his joy back. See, there, there are a lot of believers who have lost their joy because of sin or because they've chosen, as a result of that sin, to look for joy in places outside of the place they found it in the first place, in Christ. If right now you, you are struggling to have joy in your life, you need to answer the question, am I looking for my joy somewhere else other than where the angel said it was to be found on that day Jesus was born? Or have I somewhere along the way committed sin and have been unrepentant of my sin and as a result of my sin and my rebellion against God, I have lost my sense of joy, the joy of the Lord 
and his salvation. You see, Christ intends for us to be a part of what he's doing in the world. He intends for us to enjoy relationship with him. He intends for us to be filled with joy. Is that indicative of your life? You know, Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. was a member of the U.S. Supreme Court for 30 years, and he was a brilliant man. His mind, wit, and work earned him kind of an unofficial title of the greatest justice since John Marshall on the court. At one point in his life, Justice Holmes explained his choice of career by saying the following. He says, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. I've known a few of those preachers, haven't you? I've known a few of those fellow believers, other Christians, haven't you? Boy, Christians can be a sorry lot sometimes, can't we? We can be dour and sour and depressed and down and fun to be around. We've been around those types. But you know what? You might have been that type at some point in your life, right? That type of Christian. You're still a Christian, right? You still are. You, you believe, you trust, you love the Lord, but you don't have the joy of the Lord. And the reason you don't have it is because you're not pondering what God has done. You're not spending time with God and, and considering what He's done for you and what He's promised to do for you in the future. You've not enjoyed the forgiveness of your sins and enjoyed the salvation of the Lord, enjoyed His deliverance. Or there's some sin in your life that you won't let go of that has got in the way of your pondering and considering of these things. And so you've lost that joy of the Lord's salvation. There's no delight in mind and heart going on here. And you become one of those sour people. And eventually, in many cases, you become a bitter, no fun to be around kind of Christian. God never intends that for any of us. Let me tell you, I love the shepherds. Just about every Christmas, and I think probably every Christmas for the last, I don't know how many, probably 10 years and maybe, I've preached at least one sermon during the Christmas season on the shepherds. Because the shepherds are some of my favorite people in all of the Bible. These shepherds right here. These shepherds, they, they are, they're incredible. They were just a bunch of guys sitting out in the field. People looked down upon them, thought of them as ceremonially unclean, thought about them and considered them to be unfit for anything really useful other than just watching a bunch of sheep out in the field. That was about all they were good for. And it was this guy sitting out in the field that nobody thought God could use, who probably thought of himself, God could never use me for anything. God can never do anything good in me. A guy probably just barely thought he might be saved someday by God, but no more than that, certainly. Whom God showed up one night and split the sky for. I mean, how incredible is that? God showed up one night, split the sky, and filled it full of angels for him. And he's sitting around with his buddies looking up first at one angel and then at a sky full of angels singing glory to God testifying to God's salvation and what the Lord was doing in a little crib in Bethlehem, a little, little crush in Bethlehem. And so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I can identify with this guy a lot. 
because we all have that kind of thought about ourselves at some point. I'm thinking this guy must have been just floored by what God was doing in that moment. And I'm sure that in that moment he thought, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy. You picked the wrong guy. You forgot who I am. You don't know my name. You should have been on the other hill. There's a palace that kings should have been told first and other folks who could do a better job at what you're you're giving me the opportunity to do. It may have been a million excuses and a million thoughts go through his mind, but God said, no, you're the guy. You're the one. Because I chose you. And I look around me today and I see a whole bunch of people that God chose. I look around today and I see a whole bunch of us, all of us, say that God has chosen and commissioned. You know, I look at you guys today and I think of 2016 and I think of what God has called us to do. And I look at, at Christmas and I think of what God's called us to celebrate. And it's amazing. It's amazing. God wants you and wants me to be a part of what he's doing in this world. But not just by way of vocation and not just by way of something to do. He wants us to participate in his glory, his power, and what he can do in the world around us, through us. And that's the most amazing thing. And that should fill your life full of joy, but also fill your life full of great expectations. Because you see, you're not limited to what you can do. You're not limited to what you can think or what you can know or what you can produce or what resources you have or what gifts you think you possess. You're not limited to any of those things. You're not limited by your age, by your health, by your position, by anything. You're not limited at all. There are no limitations to what God can do. I want you to think with me about one of the guys in the story in the video, Lazarus. He was dead. You're not dead yet, right? Do you see how it is so utterly, completely not dependent on you? It is not dependent upon you. It is dependent upon God. And if you have faith to believe that God is going to do what he intends to do in and through you, you will begin to participate in great things beyond your wildest imagination. You know how old Colonel Sanders was when he founded Kentucky Fried Chicken. He said, well, this is odd. Where are you going with this? He was 65 years old. But he wasn't 65 years old in the year 2015. He was 65 years old a long time ago. When 65 was really old. 65 is not old at all now, right? But back in his day, 65 was kind of, you know, they say now that, that 60 is the new 40. Well, 65 back in that day was... The equivalent of about 90 today, right? And I mean, even you guys that are close to 90 or about 90 right now, I mean, are doing better than a lot of 65-year-olds were back then. I mean, 65 was considered to be old. And he started Kentucky Fried Chicken. I've often thought about what was going through that fellow's mind. I want to be, I want to be like Colonel Sanders, at least in that point. I don't know anything else about the guy's life, but I'm thinking, you know, he had confidence he had a dream. He had a passion. I'm going to make fried chicken. And I'm going to make the best fried chicken anyone's ever eaten. And I'm going to make it so good that I'm just going to make fried chicken. And people are going to come here just to eat fried chicken. I won't have anything else on my menu. Back then, there were no pot pies or anything else. They didn't have all that foolery they have now. It was just chicken. Went to Kentucky Fried Chicken. You had two choices, original recipe or extra crispy. And that was it. 
And he said, I'm going to make great fried chicken, and everybody's going to want it. Everybody's going to love it. Man had a dream. He had a passion. He had confidence. And he stepped out and took a chance, and the rest is history. But you know, we have something far greater that people need, whether they know it or not, and even want more than fried chicken. And we serve a God whose power is unlimited. And if we would just dream and have confidence and stop excusing and giving ourselves excuses for not being a part of what God is doing, if we would stop giving ourselves excuses and looking at the next guy to do what we're called to do, if we would just step outside of ourselves for a minute and see ourselves as God does, we would begin to participate in and be a part of things beyond our wildest imagination just like the angels on that hillside. Why did God put this story in here? Why did he choose shepherds? Why did he do this? Great many reasons that I'll never know. But one thing I do know and one thing I do believe is that he showed us in this story is that every person, regardless of who you are, where you come from, what you think about yourself, is usable and can be a part of God's glory, plan, and mission in their life while they draw breath on this earth. And in the case of Lazarus, even after that. So that's who we are, guys. And that's who you are. Believe it. Begin to believe it. And begin to see yourselves through the eyes of Christ. Begin to see yourself through the eyes of what He can do, what He intends to do, what He wants to do in your life. Great expectations. Why would you ever have anything less than great expectations for your life in light of what Christ has taught us through the story of the shepherds? Let's bow.